Welcome to the Higher Learning Podcast with me, Oz Rashid. Our podcast focuses on the one thing every business leader must excel at when building a high-performance team, effective hiring. Identifying high performers that fit your team is not just an HR responsibility. It impacts every area of the business and all hiring leaders in your company. We're here to have an honest and entertaining conversation with different business leaders from a variety of industries to learn about new ways of identifying and engaging top talent in today's business environment. I'm your host, Oz Rashid. Welcome to another episode of Higher Learning. I am your host, Oz Rashid, and today we have a very special guest. Today we have Anastasia Volkova, CEO and co-founder at Regrow. How are you today, Anastasia? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Oz. Of course. All right. So listen, we've got to start here. I love climate tech. It's an area that I've gotten more passionate about as I've learned more about it. I'm so interested to learn about your company. So can you tell us a little bit about what Regrow does and maybe a little bit about the company's mission and vision? Of course. It'll be my pleasure. The climate crisis is an obvious one that draws everyone's attention right now, but we don't often know where it actually comes from. We generally attribute it to greenhouse gases coming out of the exhaust pipe of the car and maybe a few more other things that seem to be complicated, mining materials, minerals, and things like that. But it turns out that a number of industries actually share the bulk of the greenhouse gas emissions that are getting into the atmosphere whilst they probably shouldn't. And agriculture is one of those. The way that we've industrialized farming over the years, especially post the two world wars, was really focused on productivity, less on the environmental impact of it, longevity, perpetuality of how the planet can produce food alongside feeding the humans that actually occupy that land and work it. So what Regrow does, it actually helps companies across the agriculture and food supply chain, all the way from those working with the farmer to those serving new food on plates or on shelves in supermarkets to help understand what practices make the bulk of the emissions associated with their company and help them tangibly reduce it, remove those emissions in the first place, or make sure that they're fostering such ecosystem and communities that sequester carbon. Of course, we all know plants grow, they breathe in carbon, they build roots, they build their biomass, they give us food. Capturing that process and making sure that agriculture doesn't produce any other greenhouse gases is exactly the analytics that Regrow wraps itself around. Wow. I love that. Now you're obviously solving a big problem, but I am so interested. How did you get into this space? How did you decide that I want to commit my life and make this my life's work? I grew up in Southern Ukraine and Southern Ukraine is a very fragile environment from the water availability perspective. So I always heard from that if it's not going to rain, then probably my tomatoes will die again. All the ones that she nurtured over winter. Or if it's not going to rain, we're not expecting a good apricot or pear harvest this year. So it was really acutely obvious how that soil was so susceptible to the rainfall as well as the ability to retain water. I've seen commercial farm just across the road from the little patch of the land that my family owned just outside of the city. And when I grew up, I discovered what agriculture had to do with the climate crisis and that it closed the circle for me that actually, well, this is one of the industries that impacts the climate not very positively, that creates in a way a vicious cycle that affects this industry and so on. So how can we change it all together? How can we sidestep this old behavior, create new behavior that will enable us to live on this planet long term? 
you can say that I'm probably that first generation that was born with climate anxiety. So I wanted to channel on my energy and the frustration about how we've optimized things before into productive, creative, wholesome work that would create an alternative. They say mother is the necessity of invention. And quite literally, your mother talking about the tomatoes and the apricots led to this invention. So that is fantastic. I love that story. Your company is super disruptive in the agricultural space. From my understanding, your company is doing something different than any other companies out there. So I know that innovation has to be a really key pillar of your culture and the way that your company operates. So I'm always fascinated when I talk to other entrepreneurs, how do you foster a culture of innovation? What do you do in terms of your employees or maybe programs you put in place where people are sharing ideas and coming up with latest and greatest in terms of innovation? What we do is, and that's at the core of Free Girl Value Proposition, we commercialize and productize science. Science that discovers the new ways that we can understand the way that we, if we put a fertilizer into the soil, what happens to it? Where does it go? What does it depend on? What are the conditions in which it would be most positive versus the conditions in which it can be harmful and greenhouse gas effects? So the advantages of building such a company with an incredibly talented group of people that I get the privilege to lead is literally putting that ambitious goal out front and saying Regro's mission is to make resilient agriculture accessible and practiced on every acre globally. What does that mean? That if we look at the greenhouse gas pie attributed to agriculture, agriculture is a big piece. The feed that goes in and commodity production that goes into animal agriculture is a big feed, it's a big piece of the pie. So given that clarity to regrowers internally and giving them the opportunity to see, here's what the customers are ready for. Here is the science that we are ready to offer. But what comes after that? Let's be creative. Let's recruit companies that can be our partners in bringing the new science to the table, to practitioners, to farmers, so they can leverage it. So to us, we look into this horizon where we can see the future of agriculture being completely resilient and how do we step by step get there? As long as you, I think, paint that vision, as long as you're very clear on what needs to get done, what kind of pieces of science need to mature, you almost make into a roadmap and people can execute against that. I love that. And listen, we're going to talk more about hiring in a minute, but I imagine you, when you have a culture of innovation, it's everybody from the highest level of the organization all the way to the newest entry, even interns and things like that. Is that something you're specifically interviewing for in terms of people speaking up or having ideas and fostering ideas like that? Is that something that you do in training to get people to speak up? Like, How do you get some people that maybe early in their career and feel like, I don't know how much I have to offer to this company in terms of ideas to innovate. How do you get them to open up and feel confident to speak up about their ideas? Great question. We actually two thoughts, one general framework, and one is a recent experience. For the general framework, I think it's really important to build that into the norm and hire for the ability to learn. It's not just a sheer creativity and innovation connecting dots out of out there in space. It's really what can we bring to market that the market is ready to absorb that they can support us in developing and creating for them? That enables us to actually be successful one step back. How do we get there? We need to be good at listening. We need to be good at learning and adjusting. Whether we painted our vision and it's most of the way correct, what is it that we're learning on a day-to-day basis that changes that vision? That comes with qualities such as holding your strong opinions loosely and really having a stance and a position and a vision for it, but being able to say, oh, it looks like something is changing over here or we didn't take into account this component and 
leading by example, of course, really showing that someone can be in a leadership team meeting in a room with two or three executives, which actually we had last week on Friday, we had someone who's one of the most junior people in the company who was in the room with me and another senior executive at the company. And we were ideating, we were actually getting their input because they're working on a project that's critically important to one of our customers as a cutting edge innovation. And I felt that we needed to do extra work to help this more junior employee to feel comfortable around us. But we kept repeating and teasing the thoughts that employee had and truly incorporating them in the deck in real time. So we were all co-creating in this collaborative environment. I think it can be very surprising to people to see executives being so collaborative. At the same time, I think, as my CRO says, if you don't have that culture of listening and learning and sharing, that's what kills innovation. So having that culture is really important. And knowing that if it's about new ideas, if it's about us kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks, everyone can throw spaghetti at the wall. (laughs) It's all equal basis. And then we need to reset, see what makes sense and make a decision together. But I think just fostering that environment in which we're all equal, we're looking at it from different perspectives. We need those perspectives to create something truly different. Yeah. Two things come to mind when you say that I'm somebody that is really, especially as I've matured in my career, strong opinions held lightly is something that I try to live by. I definitely have thought out what I think, but at the same time, through logic, through data, through other expertise, I'm more than happy to be moved off that point. I just think that's a critical thing for leaders, but also everyone throughout your organization. And that comes with growth mindset. If you think you already know it all when you get there, then you're going to be static and your ability to grow and develop and learn more is really going to be prohibited. The other side about it is not only are you doing such a great thing by having somebody so early in their career in that meeting and getting to spend that time with them, you're really building in retention and engagement that will be fuel that junior employee for years in terms of the loyalty they have to the company, the fact that they have that open voice is such an important thing that you're doing. And yes, it's great that you probably got great ideas out of that session in terms of working with that associate, but also that person's probably very loyal and sees you as a leader and sees your organization as one that's going to listen, which we find with millennials, Gen Z, and really everybody, I hate to generalize about generations, really everybody wants to feel heard at work. And so you are doing an incredible job of creating that format that I'm sure is appreciated. Diversity is really important to you and to me. We talked about this a little bit in our pre-call. How are you defining an ideal diverse workforce? And then I know you have a lot of different backgrounds, whether it be race, gender, experience, diversity of thought. How do you bring all those different types of people together in your organization and have strong, inclusive practices? Because I don't know the ideal vision of diversity exists. And I don't think that it truly matters because... The version of diversity that we need to foster is the one that's reflective of the communities in which we work, the communities for which we work, and importantly, the type of work that we do. So for Regrow, we have a few pillars of work across science, technology, across the way we work with customers that really we need to be top-notch at. These are our muscles that we need to build over and over And this hasn't really changed over the six years of the company uh, all that dramatically. We always needed to be good at agricultural sciences, crop sciences, soil sciences. So we are forming really strong relationships with the schools that really help train the world's best soil scientists and ecosystem scientists, biogeochemists, modelers, those brilliant professionals. At the same time, a little bit into my background is software, but also for remote sensing specifically. So satellite imagery and how does that translate into actionable insights? 
So when you start building your pillars, such as these two and many other specialized pillars, as well as many generalized pillars, of course, we need software developers and everywhere to all the way to customer success managers, just like any company that offers or as a service product. When you look at that set of groups, core competencies, you're starting to look, what am I working with? Where are the soil scientists coming from? Where are the remote sensing engineers coming from? What is possible in that environment? Do we actually help build a program at a university where I come and maybe give lectures or my co-founder comes and gives lectures so that we can inspire more young women to be in remote sensing and aerospace or in someone who leads our environmental science team goes and talks about it. And she's the woman that represents diverse backgrounds that she could inspire people with the work that we do. That's just across different disciplines. We're all coming from different backgrounds. We all speak so many different languages and live in more than 17 countries. Definitely the problem with the pipeline isn't the one that a Series B startup can solve, but we're trying to be engaged in it where we feel will be most impactful, where we can show someone who goes into this career why they shouldn't drop out of it. How can they see their work, what they're learning in the academic circles applied maybe through an internship so we partner with schools as a corporate or industry representative on those projects to give them the real world application that fuels the desire to learn more than anything else and that kind of breeds that that retention um, i would also say that from the perspective of diversity we look at it from the on the team by team basis of course as well making sure that whenever there is a table that the table is welcoming and also that it has diverse opinions the based on how our company is structured i don't think there's many other places where you would find a farmer a sole carbon biogeochemical modeler a agronomist designer product manager all come in and sit in the same table trying to solve the problem for so many stakeholders across our agricultural and food system so we depend on that diversity to really reflect the industry that we serve and that's how we go about building it what a poignant answer and i've never heard it articulated that before i really love that thank you for sharing so anastasia i love talking about your company i think it's so interesting i think it's so important what you all are doing I want to dive in a little bit to the hiring questions because this is a hiring podcast. And listen, I'm always fascinated talking to founders because I think as an entrepreneur, we approach these things a little bit differently from a hiring perspective. We know how incredibly important that first one, five, 10, 100 hires can be to make or break a business. And so I'm so interested in hearing the philosophies of people who are in your position as you build a company. So let's start there. Do you have an overarching hiring philosophy for people that you want to bring into your organization? And if so, what is it? Aim for the genius zone. That's mm. how I would summarize it. I okay, explain. I think you might know what I mean, but let's dive into it deeper. So everyone has kind of a genius zone. So what is the work that I thrive on doing? What is the work that I find myself doing if and if I'm not being asked to do it or paid to do it? So understanding what that is and what really gives someone energy and being able to marry it in some way, in part or in full with the role that will be put in either immediately or down the road, I think is what unlocks really a different level of motivation. For us, of course, that gets layered in with, are they really passionate about climate? Do they understand the value and importance of this work, either from environmental standpoint or social standpoint? Like it's one and the same in a way, but of course, some people have more of a people-centric value set compared to other ones who 
put the bigger concept of a shared future together first. So looking at matching the person with their role through this genius zone and with two other pillars, are they serious about climate and understand the value of this work? And if so, that'll unlock really amazing level of energy for them. And are they constantly learning or are they just set in stone exactly as we talked about before? So those three pillars, I think it's the philosophy that we apply here. I love that. I've heard it called genius zone. I've heard it called hedgehog model. It's when you can really take that cross section of what you're good at and what you're passionate about and marry those things together. That's what leads to sustained excellence over time in your career. So I think that's a fascinating thing. Now, listen, and adding the climate change aspect to it, maybe the funnel gets a little bit smaller there. Do you have an internal TA organization? Are you basing it off of referrals or people you've known? Like, how do you find this cross-section of people that fit those very key qualities? Because I got to imagine they're few and far between. You'd be surprised that these days, climate is one of the most fast growing areas in the market, given that everyone has woken up to the fact that there is a challenge that we need to solve and we don't really have much time. So we're very fortunate in climate tech to see a lot of people at least show an interest. And all of us as companies working in this space, we're advocates for these candidates to have good experience for them to really get a taste of what are the different climate things that someone can do. There's fantastic organizations like Climate Base and Work on Climate that help people who transition from outside of climate tech into climate tech to at least dip their toe in the water does not necessarily mean they immediately get hired by a company. They are just literally joining a community of people who are passionate about maybe one day, maybe already are working in climate and expanding their impact. So I think there's whole movement that we're a part of that helps build more and more of a pipeline. Of course, we have our internal wonderful TA organization. And even talking to you today, hopefully will help to that same end. I'm positive it will. And listen, I want to ask this as a layman. I've become more aware and more attuned and put more of my time and thought and resources into the impact of the environment and climate change and all these different things that are happening in our world. I do feel like over the last couple of years, there's been more progress than maybe there had been decades previously. As somebody who's so ingrained in this space and in the weeds, do you agree with that? I know there's a long way to go, but do you feel optimistic about some of the progress we made over the last couple of years? I agree. I feel optimistic about the amount of attention and energy that goes into the space. As a cautious optimist, I would definitely say there is ways to go to really get on the trajectory for 1.5C Celsius for us to not warm up the world to a point where we literally will have catastrophic effects. So there's definitely a lot of work, but as also a very impatient optimism, definitely say more people paying attention to this problem has definitely helped to move things faster in the last couple of years. You could definitely see it from conference of parties or so-called COPs definitely see a lot of movement in the space as well as with corporates announcing their net zero goals. So all of those signs are true. All of it is truly accelerating. Yeah. So what I would say is, and you've been doing this for a long time, but maybe five, 10 years ago, it felt like screaming into a void. And it's, are you not understanding how important this is? I think we're at least starting to see from a policy perspective and then just the general person understanding how big of a problem this is and how quickly it needs to change for the better, I think has been better, but you're right. We need to get, we need more progress to get where we need to be but I'm hopeful. And I tend to be an optimist. I'm hopeful that going forward, we're going to start to see some of those dramatic changes. So I'm very thankful for what you're doing. Let me ask you this. If I ask you about a memorable interview, good, bad, maybe one that you were interviewing for, or somebody was interviewing, or you were interviewing somebody, what stands out? Is maybe somebody great that you hired, or maybe an interview that didn't go that well. You don't have to name names, but I'm interested in what comes to mind. 
What comes to mind is constructive conflict. I think it's very important to hold constructive conflict with people. And in the way that we lead the company as a leadership team, that's a very important value for us because back to your innovation question, we can really not, each one of us alone, invent what the future of the industry would look like. We partner, we collaborate externally, but so we must internally. So to me, it can maybe sound contradictory or counterintuitive to some people listening, but to me, it's critically important that someone isn't just blindly following along with the line of questions that I am asking and really helps me understand what is the additional perspective they will be bringing to the table because that's how we get to diversity. That's how we get to innovation. That's how we get to excellence. This is how we truly have a shot at surviving in an industry as a small company. So to me, the interviews that stood out the most were the interviews where I think we had a great energy dynamic with someone because they felt really passionate about the work that the company was doing or about had their personal connections. Importantly, they had the expertise in their area to really very tangibly add to the conversation and go beyond my question, not to just satisfy what seemed to be the core of the question, but to truly push my understanding of why and what else should I be asking and do so with a lot of respect and in a way that keeps you wanting to do that more with that person, to ask more questions, to understand what other perspectives do you need to get pushed to get better. I think growing together out of that conversation is probably the hallmark of some of my favorite interviews. I love that. And as I hear qualities that we want in potential hires, and I'm thinking about what are questions or situations that we can tease that out. I was talking with somebody earlier and they said that one of their favorite questions to ask a prospective hire is name, tell me about a time that you disagreed with your boss and what happened and what was your approach and what ended up being the outcome, which I just think is such a fascinating thing to ask because we've all had disagreements with our boss, but it's also about how did you constructively approach that? And I think it also says a lot about somebody asking that question that I'm very open to you challenging me and questioning me on something so that we can have that constructive conflict that you're talking about. So I think that's fantastic. And that's the second time in a few hours I've heard a great leader ask that question because that's what we want. We want that feedback. We want to be challenged. If I knew it all, like you said, then I wouldn't need to hire anybody. I could do it all myself, but we want people who are going to challenge us and push us at our best, even as we lead the company. So I love that. Do you have a favorite question that comes to mind? Is there something that you love to ask in interviews? Yes, absolutely. And I would happily share so that everyone who takes an interview after you release this podcast episode will come prepared. My favorite <laughs> we'll questions are based on the book called Who? The A Method for Hiring. Okay. Um, and I truly love to ask this kind of set of four questions. What are you great at and love doing professionally? What are you not so great at or not interested in doing professionally? Then you usually ask a question of how would your former two bosses rate you and why? And I truly love that perspective because it gives you an understanding of how someone thinks about their career, about their professional contribution. And that gives me a sense of is it the right fit for the role? Is does this sound like what we're looking for? Do the way that they describe themselves sound like it would be potentially a good add to the mix within the team that they'd be working in? The ability to ask and respond well to what are you not so good at or not interested in? And I think also framing that question, not interested, not just asking for what they're not good at, allows more leeway and for people to feel quite open and 
in 99% of times, I get really good answers from people to that question. And they're not very blase, superficial plugs that don't make any sense. They're truly, usually I'm challenged by X, Y, Z as potentially someone's former boss, someone's future boss or someone's future colleague. I really care about that because the question is, who's going to support you in that area of development that you have? Is it me? Is it someone who's on the team that you'll be joining? How can we help you grow? Because if you're sharing that, you have self-awareness around it. You really want to grow in that area. And then the next question that asks about the bosses really evokes a whole range of responses and usually tells a little bit about self-esteem, a little bit about how people judge themselves. about Self-awareness, I would think, right? 100%, right. 100% self-awareness about their ability to also present this information and be candid and authentic yet confident. And most importantly, what they judge as meaningful as progress and achievement. And yeah, we all have very different measures for that, especially depending on the size of the company you were coming from and the size of the company you are coming into. I love that. And listen, you mentioned the who methodology. I read that book about a year ago. I am a little bit of a nerd when it comes to technical hiring and recruiting and all that processes. I think it's a wonderful book, an incredible methodology. And I think those are great questions. And I think you can probably tease out a lot about somebody through those questions. So I appreciate you saying that. Hopefully, anybody who wants to work at Regrow has listened to this podcast and is ready to answer. We'll see if not. Now, we all miss when we hire sometimes. I'm sure there's been people you brought into the organization that didn't ultimately end up being fits. When you look back at why you might have missed or what you might have missed in the interview, is there anything that comes to mind or a theme? I guess you're asking not really about the question that didn't stay for the long term because there's phases, right? And as the company grows, we need to grow ideally ahead of the company growth or at least at pace with it. So there's definitely that group of people. But I think the missed hires, I would generally say it lends itself into an area where people maybe on the hiring committee, were hopeful when we didn't quite nail the fit between the testing of the skills that we needed in the role within the interview process. And we had to assume or extrapolate based on the other data points that we had. And those roles probably have evolved and exposed that the recruitment process didn't cover all of the pieces and the extrapolation didn't hold water. So I guess the antidote that we came up to those kinds of situations is really get a good idea how to hire for now, not for the future, because the future is really uncertain, but also have a little bit of a view of what could the potential for this role look like to start asking the question, but not immediately hire for that, potentially to have an eye for training around that. I love that. And like you said, your company is growing rapidly, right? So there's different phases. And the person that helps you get from zero to a million is not always the person that helps you go to 100 million and 500 million. And that's not a bad thing. That's just sometimes how things work. Very few people are able to grow throughout that entire time. So I love that you're interviewing for right now, rather than what a future state might be. And I think that's a really smart thing to do if you're working in an environment that's dynamic and changing as much as regrow is. All right. So I'm interested to dive in a little bit about your role in particular. Now, I want to ask about the day in the life, but I want to ask it a little bit of a different way. You partner with some of these really large organizations I saw, like General Mills and Kellogg. And I'm interested, what are you doing with these large CPG companies and how are you working together and partnering with them? We're helping them navigate their climate journey and make the most out of their brand equity desire to invest into a future that's resilient. We do it in a number of ways. We are a trusted advisor and a thought partner in developing the new future because it's 
not really nice and not really well to talk about multi-crisis, crisis, biodiversity, climate crisis, all those things. People, they draw motivation from a vision of something that is hopeful and aspiring, like a perpetual planet in which the agricultural production is nourishing for both the planet and the people. We try to detail that vision together with these companies, understand what are the roles of everyone across the agricultural supply chain or the organizations working with it, financial institutions, NGOs, government, as well as everyone inside that organization. What does product R&D and innovation, how do they contribute? How do they use the information about the sustainability of an ingredient going forward? How does procurement weave that into contracts and show the love to their suppliers through these forward investments? How do we get the sales and marketing to be able to include their customers of the brand to co-invest into something that's better for the future for them together as a supply chain? So these are truly critical areas of work. And I'm not even touching on financial and other types of compliance that is really driving a lot of the rigor in this space, which helps even more companies come to us and use the science that's scalable, globally applicable, and future-proof. Wow, that is awesome. I know in terms of everything you're working on, you seem to be very passionate about it. It's a very exciting time in your industry and you are doing a lot in that space, the impact. Are there any particular programs that you're really juiced about or that you're working on right now that you want to scream from the mountaintops and tell us about? Oh, there is so much going on. Just in a couple of weeks from now, I think we will be launching the new thing of the company. So I'm very excited to, to work on that. It's our attempt to build that future vision, to empower the stakeholders and key partners in every organization across the agriculture and value supply chain to talk about this as an opportunity to get the co-investment, to get behind the same goal together. And Rigor has taken on something that's feels a little bit larger than life, but at the same time, we feel like we have all the right ears and eyes pointed at us, and we want to help the industry coalesce and come together around this really important work. So stay tuned for that. If we want to find out more about that repositioning, should we go to the website, or what's the best way for us to find out about that? Definitely. We will start broadcasting it across the website and socials. Yeah, you know, few weeks then. Okay, I can't wait. I cannot wait. A lot of times on this podcast, we like to look at an old LinkedIn post. So I'm going to run one by you. You've talked a lot about the importance of helping females early in their career and pushing them up and advancing them. I'm going to read from about four months ago. Excited to have been invited to join Chief, a private network for women executives built to drive more women into positions of power and keep them there. So many good things come from powerful women coming together, strengthening their leadership, magnifying their influence and paving the way to bring others who are coming after us. So my question to you would be, have you already started to attend different meetings and things for Chief and what's it been like and why is this important to you? I love that you brought it up. I was actually thinking of Chief when you asked me something else earlier today. And I'm like, I'm not sure if Oz knows about Chief, but here This you is go. what a good podcast host does. So hopefully I caught on. Go ahead. Said, no, you're caught on. Yes, I'm part of the Chief Network. I have attended a number of different meetups, as well as I'm part of the core group, which is a Chief's way of organizing a small group of people that go through the experience of learning and advising and supporting each other together in a curated and curated and coached supported way. I'm getting a lot out of that network. I'm just seeing so many wonderful women that do often critical work at their companies and exchanging ideas about something that may feel first, like it feels, let me recut this. 
exchanging ideas with, we literally give each other the perspectives that otherwise are not accessible. They may be working in a larger company. They may not see it the way that I see it. I interview so many people and have a different perspective. So it's just bringing all of these different perspectives together, empowering each other, supporting each other, seeing how we can grow and helping see the best in each other. It's such an incredible thing where literally female executives do it for each other. I'm grateful they started that network. Chief. I love it. I know a little bit about it. I was lucky enough to meet one of the founders at a conference. I have many female executives in my network who have been a part of it. I think it's such an empowering thing. I have three daughters myself. Our company was male dominated for the first few years. I'm proud to announce we're at like 55% gender diversity weighted towards the female side. I really believe in empowering females in terms of their careers, along with other all different types of groups and typically sometimes disenfranchised groups and helping support them to achieve those goals. I will say that hopefully not sounding self-serving, but if anybody in chief, if we can give them a platform here on this podcast, you think they'd be a good guest, please let them know about us. But I'm so excited that you're doing that. I'm so excited that you're getting a lot of value out of that. And what's amazing is the other people I've talked to about chief have specifically said that same thing, that getting together in those core groups and sharing and empowering each other has done wonders for them, for their network and for their career. So I love, love, love to hear that. Last question. If we are going to offer one little bit of career advice, a nugget maybe that you did not have early on in your career, but that you know now, what would you offer that up to maybe people early in their career listening to this podcast? Especially to women. I want to speak to them or those who identify as female. Trust yourself. It's going to be as simple as that. Trust your gut, trust yourself. So often as female professionals, we seem to be in a cloud of someone else's expectations and not even know how something gets done. And if we haven't seen it, frankly, we can get frightened and feel like we're out of place. But we should trust our gut. And if something feels right or if something feels wrong, the inability to stay in a job that doesn't fully fit one's life is probably not a good place to keep pushing yourself into or vice versa. The pull into a new career, despite maybe having a young baby, is something that the modern workforce and the right type of boss, right type of team will be most welcoming into, and it can bring so much more energy. So I guess really that amplified self-awareness brought into the workplace, the time for it is now. I love that advice. And again, as a father of three daughters, you see a lot of times in society that we condition our little boys to be confident and speak confidently in what they're doing. And a lot of times you'll see that we intentionally or not condition our young girls many times to not be that same way. And so I'm grateful my 11, nine and eight year old are three of the most confident little girls I've ever met in my life. I'm not sure if they got that from their mother or their father, but that's something that we've tried to build in them to trust themselves. And as they get into their career, that type of mentality is going to empower them to do things that they never thought possible. So I think that's wonderful advice. And I hope everybody listening takes that to heart. And I think it's really great. Anastasia, you've been an amazing guest. I know we're going to be hearing a lot more about you and the company Regrow in the coming weeks and months. So excited to have you on. And thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm to hear that this is how you're raising your three girls. I appreciate that. Thanks so much, Anastasia. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Higher Learning with me, Oz Rashid. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.